Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 2, Deals and Justice, Part 2. Now that everyone is here, announced Kutch with the bullhorn, I have to read something to y'all. He cleared his throat and held up a folded sheet of paper so he could see it better. You are all under arrest by the authority given to me through the Governor's Emergency Declaration Number 11 and this letter, signed by the Governor just last week. He held up a piece of paper. You are all hereby charged with violation of RSA 644, paragraph 2, rioting, that and felony use of firearms during a robbery, looting, basically, and accessories to murder. Kutch stopped to let the magnitude of his statement settle in. The crowd mumbled. You have the right to remain silent, of course. You have a right to a lawyer. But I'm not sure how that works these days. Still, gotta say it. You'll all be marched to Portsmouth, where your case will be tried in Superior Court. Given the evidences against you and the many witnesses, odds are you're looking at 20 years. Since the prisons are over full, the newly sentenced will be housed aboard the ship King Tantalos. Several of the badass prisoners murmured louder at the mention of the Tantalos. From the seacoast news that Tyler and Charles brought back to Cheshire, Martin had heard that the Tantalos was a medium-sized container ship that had become stranded outside of Portsmouth Harbor by the Federal blockade. With too deep a draft to maneuver in the narrow channels without tugs, it lay at anchor off of Odeorn Point. The contents of the containers and her fuel had been ferried ashore over the winter months. The rumor mill told how the empty containers became offshore prison cells. Rumors of nightly murders among the prisoners and whispered stories of cannibalism were probably just the product of fear and overactive imaginations. An information vacuum never seems to get filled with good news. Nonetheless, Martin could imagine that life aboard a powerless, improvised prison ship was harsh on the best of days. You said there were other terms? asked Badger. Without a bullhorn, his voice was barely discernible above Tin Man's generator putter. I asked the terms, Kutch answered. He returned to the bullhorn. Governor Vincent has allowed you an alternative to trial and the Tantalos. The crowd in the cul-de-sac grew quiet. Martin had heard the terms earlier and wondered if any of them would accept it. It seemed no better. You will all be allowed to stay here in badass, continued Kutch. But you cannot leave. Anyone accepting these terms will receive a tattoo X on your forehead. The new law, HB 399, that the governor signed just a few days ago, allows any citizen to shoot dead on sight anyone with an X tattooed on their forehead if they are found outside of the designated bounds. At this news, the crowd burst into a dozen loud comments all at once, objections and conversations. 
Kutch resumed his impassive stance to wait for the group to settle down. I can't be trapped here, Trish gasped. Not with her, not with him. Brandy already accused me of helping you guys get in here and killing Cracker. Who knows what Adam will do? Oh, God, it's just not fair. I didn't do anything. I didn't take part in that stupid attack. I was here the whole time, she pled to Martin. Well, I think legally they consider everyone in Badass to be an accomplice, Martin said diplomatically. Accomplice? Her voice rose in outrage, but she dialed it back to a harsh whisper. I was tied in a chair all that day, being beaten by Brandy. Trish thrust her wrists out for Martin to see. Scabs and bruising told a story of struggling against tight ropes. When Cracker is gone, she made the rest of us pay. Okay, so I believe you, Martin said sympathetically. He hoped it wasn't foolish hormones talking. It's a whole other thing to make a court believe you. What choice do I have? Trish whined. I can't stay here. The chorus of voices began to die down. Chief among their objections was that being sentenced to remain within the fence of badass amounted to condemning them to starvation. They had maybe enough food to last a month. Quinn wouldn't be able to resupply them as he had been. Kutch stood silently, waiting for quiet. Maybe I have an idea, said the woman guard quietly. What? Both Martin and Trish said at the same time. She faced Trish. I know a battered woman when I see one, and I know fakers. For what it's worth, I believe you. But he's right about the courts. From what you've said, that Brandy would probably lie to implicate you too, out of spite if nothing else. Trish began to spool up for a major objection over having no good choices. So calm down, calm down, the woman admonished. I said I think I have an option for you. I need a new monkey. A what? Trish sounded indignant. Yeah, don't get all in a huff. That's just what I call the people who help me with my salvage business. I get the rights to abandon property, you see. But I'm too old to go climbing around in abandoned buildings. I send in my team of monkeys to do the climbing around for me. They pull out everything they can. I barter and trade for what's worth keeping, pay my monkeys from the sales. I'm down one monkey just yesterday. Lazy slug threw her out in the snow. What kind of deal is that? We'll starve in here, shouted one of the tied prisoners. Kutch pulled up his bullhorn. The only free room and board the state is offering you is aboard the Tantalos, such as it is. You stay here, you figure out something just like everyone else has to. You got yards, you'll grow gardens. But, like I said, if you think you're going to get your meals by stealing someone else's food, you'll get shot. That's your choice. Take the X and stay, or get in line to march to Portsmouth. If we start now, we might make it by dark. I'll give you five minutes to decide what you want to do. Oh, that would be great, Trish gushed to the woman guard. I'll be the hardest worker you've ever seen. I want to go with you. But how, how does that work with us all being arrested? The woman's face went blank. Her kindness hadn't figured out all of the details. Huh, I'm not sure. I can't just walk you out of camp, she said. You're all under arrest. Can't sneak out. 
sun's coming up. Someone'll see. Oh, and if I get caught, I'd be in such huge trouble. Probably never get another salvage permit again. Oh, then I'd starve. Martin studied Kutch's impassive face. Martin had no stake in Trisha's fate beyond his hopeless penchant for trying to rescue women. Leaving her with Adam and Brandy seemed cruel. She didn't deserve that. I wonder if Kutch would grant an exception, he said, more to himself than to the two women. My bag is full of chips now. Maybe I should go ask him. Will you do that? Trish asked hesitantly. Even after I... Yeah, well, worth a try, right? Martin hefted his bag with both hands and strode around the crowd toward the open garage. Trish had been trouble for his household. He wasn't sugarcoating the past. Yet he had come to see her as more of a victim of her own poor choices than a real source of trouble. She seemed to deserve a second chance, even better if it was farther from his house. About time, snipped Trevor. Man, what took you so long? Uh, some new business, Martin handed Trevor the bag. I'll be back in a minute. Martin cleared his throat and stood to one side of Kutch, his back to the crowd, as he explained Trisha's situation. Kutch showed no hints of sympathy or callousness as he listened. So, Martin added, I figure since you're the one deputized as the arresting officer, you've got the prerogative to not arrest someone, right? One less source of friction among the prisoners, less trouble, one less mouth to feed. Martin stopped, trying not to oversell the idea. Kutch heaved a sigh. Ah, police duty stinks. I'd rather be kicking in doors, clearing buildings, and taking down some mooge. Kutch shook his head and turned to one of his men. Get me a pen and paper. Kutch wrote out a note, authorizing the woman to take custody of Trish. Better to have someone working for their meals, he muttered as he wrote. Too bad this whole lot couldn't have found honest work instead of playing pirate. The phrase honest work reminded Martin of the Haitians that Charles spoke of earlier. His wheels began to turn. What if GNF Farms used bad-ass prisoners instead of Haitians, he wondered. There isn't enough land within the fence of bad-ass to make gardens enough to feed all these people properly. They'd be raiding again, in spite of the risk. On top of that, I'll bet none of them know how to garden. But if they worked for someone who did... Um, say, Kutch, Martin felt hesitant as his idea was pretty raw, with none of the details worked out. What if these people could find honest work? Kutch scoffed. Oh, yeah, right. Pack of criminals, probably allergic to work. Wait, interjected Badger. Yeah, what are you talking about? Well, actually, it's kind of Charles's idea. Martin was stalling. He wanted some time to think out a few details and to remember Charles's description of his farm plans. Could we get Charles here to help explain? Kutch keyed his mic. Charles, what's your status? Cataloging the long guns, came the reply. Half done. Oh, that'll keep. Come out to the garage. Um, Roger? Martin had a few more bits of his ideas sorted out. Charles was telling me how the people who run GNF Farms just down the road here 
used to use migrant labor to raise their crops. With the outage and the siege, there'll be no more migrants. The people of Badaz could be the replacement labor. Work to earn their food. Honest work. Kutch got a middle-distance stare as he mulled over the idea. It had many ramifications. Working in the dirt beats starving, Badger added. Charles emerged from the back door. Yeah, what's up? Martin here says you are talking about GNF farms needing laborers. Is that right? Charles looked stunned. He shot Martin a glance that asked, What the heck is this all about? Um, I guess. So, do you think your farmer friends at GNF could use these prisoners as labor instead of the Haitians? Charles half turned to face Martin and away from Kutch. What the hell have you been telling him about? Charles snapped in a whisper. My plan was for me and Tyler to do the work, not these criminals. I know, Martin whispered back. I thought that if these people could... They're scum. They don't deserve... Okay, okay, so they're scum. They don't deserve any handouts. But if they had actual work to do, work that they'd have to do... I plan to do that work with Sean's equipment. If they've got workers, they won't need me and Tyler. Man, you're totally screwing everything up. Are you two lovebirds about done? Kutch asked wearily. Martin leaned out from behind Charles. Uh, almost. He turned back to Charles and resumed whispering. Look, if Sean and Tom have manual labor, they won't need that equipment, right? Charles glared at Martin silently. His eyes showed that his mental wheels were turning. Uh, right, Martin continued. So, make him an offer on it. There's got to be a couple of old tractors in Cheshire with belt-drive PTOs to drive those. We can get one of those running. There'll be tons of new plantings to work on. But that wasn't my plan, growled Charles. Love birds, Kutch called playfully. Plans change, Martin whispered. Roll with it. Think bigger. You can be the source of mechanical harvesting for fields far bigger than GNF. And think of the added security. If these hoodlums don't have enough food, well, raiding with the X is a risk of death, but starving is certain death. Some of them will raid again. We don't want that. Put them to work raising their own food, and they'll leave us alone. Charles stared at Martin with narrowed eyes. Martin knew the look. It was an opponent who recognized a checkmate in two more moves. Now, fine, but I'm telling it like it was my idea. Understand? I get the credit. Yeah, whatever, Martin said. Charles turned back to Kutch with a smooth air of a used car salesman. He explained in somewhat flowery terms how GNF needed strong backs and willing hands, how he figured that with the extra manual labor... GNF could be a major source of food for the town of Nutfield, and give the people of Badaz an honest way to make a living. Kutch listened as his eyes surveyed the crowd in front of him. Jorge, Kutch keyed his mic, is that radio equipment of theirs still functional? I think so. We stopped him before he could wreck anything. Need some AC to check it out, though. Kutch snapped his fingers and pointed at Denton. Bring me that extension cord. Run it into that first room off the hallway. Denton quickly put down his tattoo equipment and ran the orange cord up the set of stairs. 
That's quite the plan, Charles, but we ought to see if the farmers agree with you. Oh, I'm sure they will. One of them is like my uncle, Charles nodded to validate his own credentials. Uh, I saw Uncle Tom's name on the list of reserves for Brown Team, uh, Tom Frazier. Brown Team, come in, Kutch said into his mic. Brown here. Do you have a Tom Frazier in your reserve group? Uh, yeah, why? Send him in the gate and to the big house. I want to talk to him. Kutch turned to Charles. You've got an interesting idea there, assuming it flies with your uncle. Radios are good to go, reported Jorge over the walkies. Uh, what did you want to do? Raise Echo Base. Have them get the governor's office. Let me know when you got it. Across the cul-de-sac, Martin saw the soldier who brought Kutch the pen and paper approach the woman guard and Trish from behind. They spoke a little. He handed the woman the note. She looked it over and then made subtle signals for Trish to come near and read it too. Martin saw more words and pointing at the paper. Even at that distance, there was no mistaking Trish's wide smile as her eyes searched for Martin in the garage. He raised his arm somewhat theatrically in pretense of adjusting his hood. Trish recognized him and did a little pectoral fin-like wave from her side. The two women stepped backward, slowly. None of the other prisoners seemed to have noticed. When a man walked up the packed snow of the street, all eyes turned to him. Trish and the woman used the distraction to melt behind the corner of the house and out of sight. "'Which one of you is Sergeant McCutcheon?' said the lanky man in his early fifties. "'Tom Frazier. Uh, what's up?' Kutch outlined the bare bones of working prisoner's plan, giving credit to Charles as the author. Uh, "'Hi, uh, Uncle Tom,' Charles held out his hand for a handshake. "'Do I know you?' Tom asked, not offering his hand. Ah, sure you do. <laughs> I'm your son's wife's cousin on the Hendricks side. Uh, kind of your nephew-in-law, uh, once removed. Charles was trying to sound like almost family, to make his idea more of a family matter. Tom stood silently, with a little tilt to his head, to say, that means nothing to me. Oh, you, re you remember me, uh, right? Charles forced a smile. There was that one Thanksgiving with all the kids that, uh, well, no, maybe not. Oh, or, or that summer when... Charles was scraping the dusty bottom of his memory barrel. Charles's shoulders sagged. He looked like a gambler down to his last chip. He cleared his throat and told a story of three boys one summer who tried to pasture ski behind a very frightened cow. Tom's face brightened. Oh, you are Punky Charlie. Um, yeah? Charles's face seemed to have become very itchy. Uh, I told Tyler it was a bad idea, but, uh, oh, never mind. I was thinking you were just some city idiot trying to sell me miracle seeds. Your work detail plan is interesting. We were wondering how we'd work the farm this spring. With enough workers, we could get some crops in. Need to sort out some details, though. Kutch, Tom, and Badger stood to one side, negotiating the details. Once the governor's office called in, the official adjustments to the arrangements were settled. 
HB 399 stipulated bounds, but didn't define them. The governor's office was okay with redefining the bounds for badass to include the half-mile of highway and the land of GNF farms. They couldn't be off of GNF lands without becoming fair game. The law still applied. Anyone with an X found outside of badass, GNF, or the half-mile of highway could be shot dead with no ramifications. Badger explained the deal to his fellow prisoners. Their choice was to take the X and work for a living with the narrow bounds or march to Portsmouth for trial. After a noisy 15 minutes of people talking mostly amongst themselves, they reached a decision. All but five of them agreed to take the X and stay in badass. The five holdouts were among the returned men captured in the attack. Adam was one of those five. Martin felt a little relief at the thought of Adam housed in a steel container aboard the Tantalos. That compulsive rescuer of women part of Martin was pleased that Trish would be safe from her tormentors. The fact that her new life also took her farther from Cheshire suited Martin just fine. He wanted no more trouble. This second half of Chapter 2 explores the problem of criminals in a post-SHTF world. People being people, there will still be crime. What do you do with the criminals? That's actually been an age-old problem. Our modern system of removing criminals from society and warehousing them is a relatively new solution. Before a couple hundred years ago, prison time as a punishment was rare. Much more common was either restitution, fines, or, well, death. Criminals weren't warehoused. Jail, a temporary holding cell, is ancient, but it was temporary until a final judgment was rendered. Then either freedom, a fine, or death came. Slavery was a common civil punishment for failure to pay restitution or defaults. If a thief couldn't make restitution, he became the slave of the man he stole from. That continued through the Middle Ages. Someone convicted of a crime that didn't merit death might be exiled to the wilderness, where they were expected to die of the elements, or starvation, or the animals, etc. Such a person was deemed outside of the law, an outlaw, and could be killed on sight if they showed up in the village again. It was all pretty harsh. So what do people in a collapsed society do with their criminals? They can't afford to warehouse them. Some ancient solutions would probably come back to use. The folks of Cheshire settled on a variation of the banishment solution, with the X tattoo as a mark of their being an outlaw. Martin added a more humane touch. They could work for their food. This might sound like the penal version of the town farm, which I guess it kind of is. But criminality post-collapse is something to think about. What do you do with petty criminals when you can't just ship them off to someplace else? Now, in podcast news, Patreon has added a new feature, a free trial option. With it, you can try out being a Siege fan patron for seven days for free. You'll get to see materials posted for my patrons thus far news from the homestead, story notes, and drafts of some of the early chapters of Book 6. So, if you're interested, go check it out. It's a way to check out the perks of being a patron. 
Go to patreon.com slash Mick underscore Roland and see what you think. Thanks.